Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College Online Journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. You can subscribe to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast, at iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite download service, and never miss the great content we offer. Hello, and welcome to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast. I'm Jacqueline Witt, professor of strategy at the U.S. Army War College and the editor of A Better Peace. Thanks for joining us on another episode. For listeners familiar with the recent history of the U.S. Army, you of course know that Iraq has loomed large. Friends, colleagues, and loved ones have deployed, often several times, to Iraq and to the broader Middle East in support of American efforts there since 2003. And American troops are still there. In 2013, Chief of Staff of the Army, General Raymond Odierno, commissioned this study. That's the topic of today's podcast. The researchers and authors concluded their work in 2016, but the study was not published until early 2019. There's been lots of talk about the delay and the politics of the study, but we're going to save that particular discussion for another day. Instead, on this episode, we want to focus on the making of the study and to think more deeply about its substance and conclusions. So to fill us in on these topics, we have two experts with me in the studio today. Uh, Frank Subcheck is a retired Special Forces Army colonel and now a PhD candidate at the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy. He was one of five lead authors and one of the two co-editors of the study, along with Colonel Joe Rayburn. It's great to be here, Jackie. Thank you for inviting me. Great. And we also have Colonel Jim Powell, uh, who is one of the principal authors. He worked on the sections, especially about 2006, 2007. And Jim is now on the faculty of the U.S. Army War College and holds a Ph.D. in history from Texas A&M University. So welcome, Jim. Thanks, Jackie. Glad to be here. Great. So we'll start off with a question about origin stories. And for historians, these are questions that matter. So how did this study come about? Um, What's the purpose of it? So in 2013, when our group was first stood up, uh, we were one of the main reasons I think why we were stood up was General Odierno sat our group down and talked to us about kind of his vision on what the objectives were, and I think that captures you know the answer to that question. And to him, he felt that we'd spent the first several years of the Iraq War relearning many of the lessons of the Vietnam War. And the Army had never really done an in-depth study of the, the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. The histories that were being done were not concluded uh, as of 2013 and are still you know, being uh, written. Um, and so he tasked us with writing an operational-level history of the Iraq War. And one of the points here is that this was never intended to be a comprehensive uh, history with with uh, the, the final interpretation of the story it was it was meant to be done uh, relatively quickly as far as as far as history goes anyway uh, in order to uh, to address the, the practical matter that, that Frank mentioned uh, of getting lessons uh, out to the force right. because of course the army has a huge historical apparatus we we have a I would say an army of historians, but that's maybe not quite the right metaphor. But there's lots of historians working for the army at the Center for Military History, uh, at various institutions who are going to and who are writing um, classified histories on classified histories and specific studies. Um, of course, right, we've got the Green Book series 
of World War II that everybody knows really well. Um, but that takes decades to come out, right? The tan books, which I think is what we're calling the current ones, those are going to take years. So this one was supposed to be fast, right? Um, and you said operational level. What, what, what did you take that sort of to mean in the context of the Iraq War? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's an entire you know, Starbucks coffeehouse debating society within the army of what constitutes the operational level of war. And so we took it as the level uh, at the theater commander and the corps commanders where they are taking political guidance and kind of interpreting, distilling it, reading the tea leaves, and translating that into uh, campaigns and campaign strategy. Okay. Um so how did the how did the team come come together? How did you get the people who were going to work on this project? Well, I know for me personally, it, it came from a, an email or a phone call from from Joel Rayburn. So so he had been selected uh, to lead this team, and, and Joel uh, relied on his network of contacts to 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 slowly slowly build it from from the the core of principal authors uh, to uh, to a team of of highly competent researchers and, and uh, uh, supplementary writers. Okay. Joel put the team together. Uh, he, it's interesting. I think everyone on the team had spent, almost everyone on the team, correction, had spent time in the Department of History at West Point. Okay. Um, there were a couple social scientists, but the majority were... We'll, we'll, we'll take them we'll every once Excuse that, yeah. We, you know, we have to have our token <laughs> social scientists to make sure that uh, we balance things out. All right. Very good. I'm also a West Point history uh, alum I, or faculty alum, I suppose. So, um, so most of them are trained then at the graduate level is, as historians. Um, what does that mean for how the how the sort of process of putting together the study went from collecting documents to analyzing to researching and writing? Well, I think. It, we approached it as as historians, uh, scholars, uh, generally, and that gave us, I think, a, a little bit of uh, uh, caution uh, in our in our judgments. Uh, there's a concern always, uh, historians anyway, to to be objective as you're doing this research, particularly uh, in contemporary history. Uh, and the other thing we had to to, to guard against is. You know, the other thing we have in common is that we were all practitioners in this conflict, right? So we had mm-hmm. to kind of blend uh, those those two approaches uh, to kind of be informed by our experience, but then also uh, step back from that and be able to to assess in an objective way uh, as we sought to tell the story. Okay. Yeah. Out of the five principal authors, four already had PhDs, three had already published books. So you had a, a team that had a, you know, a strong methodological base. And I think in, in terms of like that methodology, there was a, a balancing of oral history interviews as well as primary source documents. You know, primary source documents obviously were always the, the ultimate, the kind of the holy grail. Um, but at times, oral history interviews gave a synergistic effect to documents because mm-hmm. sometimes interviews would indicate or would provide clues to documents that we didn't know existed. Right. So when you talk about documents and oral history interviews, how did you collect the information that you used um, to put this? It's like 1,300 pages long in, in its final form, so I can only imagine how many 
hundreds of thousands of pages of stuff there is. Well, well some of us bravely uh, entered the, uh, the archival collection at the Center of Military History, which had amassed terabytes of data from the hard drives of units that had deployed to, to Iraq. And so we, we waded through that, uh, through that data, and, and there were all kinds of data there uh, from, from interviews that had been done by uh, unit historians to uh, after-action reports by units to emails uh, from, uh, from the participants. Uh, and we, we, we took that. Uh, we also made, made use of a lot of the, the work that had been done beforehand. You mentioned the, the, the vast uh, historical base that, that the Army has. Well, uh, you know, Fort Leavenworth, there had been a treasure trove, really, mm-hmm. of, of interviews that the, the on-point team had done. Right. And we made uh, ample use of, of those materials and also reached out to, to other services as well, the Marines in particular. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, uh, my glasses prescription dropped a couple diopters <laughs> uh, as a result of this study. Uh, one of the challenges, you know, with this study is that in a degree, because it was focused on the ground component and not just the Army, that we were tasked to be inclusive of Marine forces, allies, special operations forces, National Guard units, you know, one of the large challenges of that is that many of those historical elements never adapted to the changes of Goldwater Nichols. So you have documentary archives that are scattered across the United States. And so to collect archival sources, to screen through them, to determine value, you know, we had to go to Carlisle, we had to go to Leavenworth, we had to go here, uh, we had to go to Tampa. All sorts of all exciting sorts of places. places. It was, it was yeah. awesome. So sometimes I, I regret not becoming a historian of like, Europe or the Caribbean, because hmm. I get to come to places like Carlisle and Leavenworth. Um, so once you, once you sort of started doing that and you got the team together, how did you decide who was going to write what and, and how the work was going to be sort of distributed? Well, for me, I had served in Iraq on, uh, on the, the, the plan staff from late 2006 through 2007 into 2008. And so my, my role was, was, was pretty, uh, pretty well defined from the beginning that I would, that I would write on that, on that section to include uh, the planning and implementation of the surge. Okay. So we were tasked specifically by General Odierno to write a uh, narrative, mm-hmm. vice thematic study. Um, as a result of that, we knew that we had to cover all aspects of the war across time. And so Joel made a decision to break the war into different segments in order to kind of divide responsibility. Um, you know, Jim had the, uh, his section, and I ended up getting the section just before him uh, from the fall of Saddam Hussein, uh, uh, correction, from the, the capture of Saddam Hussein up until the decision to surge. Okay. So everybody's sort of responsible for a chronological piece of Segment. the war. Was there discussion amongst the authors about how, like, what to cover so everybody is on the same, on the same page? Because one of the challenges when you're writing together with other people, right, is, is putting together different styles, different perspectives, different ways of 
thinking about a problem. Yeah, so I, I would say clearly that was one of the one of the issues that, that that Joel anticipated, and we we took steps really throughout the process to to make sure that that our findings were were tracking. And how I think it it, it shaped out is that each individual uh, author uh, went about uh, writing his or her piece. We we came together and talked about our findings, uh, collab- collaborated on those. And then as we moved towards uh, completed manuscript, it was, it was really Joel and, and later Frank that, that, that sought to put all that into one voice, if you will. Sure. Yeah, that's, that's precisely what we did. I mean, methodologically, kind of along the way, uh, we also had many kind of peer reviews within the team and then external to the team to try to make sure that we were covering the same themes. Um, we also identified certain story arcs. I mean, some of them were very obvious when you're talking about an operational level study. You've got to talk about campaign planning. You've got to talk about the core and theater headquarters. But we also identified other story arcs that we wanted to kind of track throughout the conflict, such as detention, special operations forces, uh, building partner capacity, and Mm -hmm. the training of the Iraqi security forces. Yeah, so to make sure there's continuity between between sections. Um, so, so far this is, I'm super interested in all of this because I'm a historian and I like talking about how historians work. Um, but let's talk, let's turn to thinking about what the conclusions uh, that the study, the, the study draws are, the arguments that you make. I think the thing that's gotten the most coverage is probably the uh, Iran headline, right? That the big winner in all of this was Iran. Um, so I guess two questions. One, do you think that's a uh, is that a fair headline for for the study as a whole? And second, what does that headline maybe miss or leave out that you would like for people to to know that's inside of this two-volume study? So I think it's an accurate headline, but at the same time, I think that is it is also a temporal headline. I mean, it's meant to, it's a headline because it's meant to get attention right. and meant to sell newspapers. Um, I think it misses many of the larger strategic issues. Um, Case in point, the Iraq war, particularly in the beginning, started with almost a debate on the revolution in military affairs. And many decision makers within the Department of Defense, some uh, political, some uniformed military, had argued that changes had occurred to warfare through new technology that revolutionized uh, combat and that you did not need the same number of boots on the ground, you did mm-hmm. not need the same number of deployed forces to accomplish the same mission. Uh, the One of the first proposals for the invasion was a single brigade right. um, with air power, kind of along the model of Afghanistan. Um, I think one of the larger strategic lessons I think that should be taken from this is a cautionary tale about the influences of revolution and military affairs, particularly on the ground component. Um, While there are theaters where it may be more applicable on the ground boots and on the ground matter. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean that, that whole argument that sort of is happening between the, between Donald Rumsfeld and serving army officers uh, is that's still a pretty clear moment in in my mind um, that it clearly affects how the war 
is prosecuted and it affects um, decisions on the ground and and how the how the war goes, especially in two thousand three, two thousand four. Are there other um, sort of top level headlines that you would attach? Yeah, I would say when you when you focus on uh, some, something as, as specific uh, and, and 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 attractive in the sense that it's in the news now, um, you, you do lose sight about larger lessons that that pertain to, to 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 any war. So so the larger lesson with respect to Iran emerging as the the only winner is the role of external actors in in war, in counterinsurgency in particular. Uh, and there are other bins of lessons like that, like coalition warfare uh, and uh, diagnosing the problem that you're facing and coming up with a, a workable, uh, sustainable solution or prescription uh, for that for that problem. So there are in, certainly broader lessons that can be that, that we can glean from this. Great. Um, so, what was the hardest thing about writing, either your sections or writing and editing the the work as a whole? Well, I'll take uh, from for my part, uh, trying to understand uh, the surge decision, and and the reason why that was hard. Uh, for one, I, I was a low level participant in that, and so I, I had to to, to kind of see uh, beyond myself and and be willing to accept that there was other th- there were things going on that I didn't know about uh, but beyond that this this was a very complex process and and the difficulty uh, as a historian what was trying to uh, objectively uh, sift through all of the the various inputs that went into the, the 2006 strategy review, uh, civil-military relations uh, be- between leaders in Washington and uh, the, the CENTCOM and, and MNFI commanders, for example, uh, being able to, to, to kind of get a handle on all of those various threads and how they affected each other and influenced the, uh, the outcome in that point in time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll take it kind of from a, a personal angle. Um, this was an aggressive timeline. And, you know, as historians, we want to get it right or as right as possible. You know, you know that you're not going to be perfect and that there'll be further interpretations later on, but you want to get it right. And so there's almost an obsession that kind of occurs while you're working on this. And, you know, the project kind of takes over your life mm-hmm. and it becomes everything. And there is no space where, you know, you can leave the office behind um, because your b- mind is still processing it um, in terms of, you know, the unclassified secondary sources and some unclassified primary sources. You're still working on that. Uh, at times, you know, you're writing at, midnight one o'clock trying to make sure that you're able to you know meet deadlines to to be able to produce it on the kind of aggressive timeline right. so that's yeah you know, yeah i it, it's thing. an extraordinarily short time to write yeah. a story that's as, as large as it is something you said actually gets to the question that i just jotted down um which is imagine a historian who picks this up 
20 years from now, 50 years from now, pick whatever timeline you want. Um, what's the, th- the thing or the, the topic or the conclusion that you think is most likely to make them say, nope, they didn't get that right? I mean, that, that, that's hard because yeah. uh, it's, it's hard on, on s- several levels, right? So, so I'm, I'm not afraid of being self-critical, but yeah. uh, so that's not the issue. I, I'm just trying to think, I mean, because many of the, we, we were aware of, of many of the potential pitfalls. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we wanted to avoid this being a triumphal uh, story uh, that, 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 uh, was, you know, went in one direction and, and failed to address, you know, the warts, if you will, uh, associated with, with the, the invasion and occupation of Iraq. Uh, we, we worked hard to cover uh, multiple perspectives. One of the strengths that Joel brought to the team uh, uh, was his knowledge of, of Iraqi internal affairs. And so, a lot of histories didn't cover sufficiently the enemy view right. or the Iraqi view, and and I think we we did a, a pretty good job as a team in addressing that. Uh, so I'm, I'm trying to think of, of blind spots, uh, and and it's hard it's hard to come up. So I would throw you know kind of thinking about it for a little bit, um, you know the 2010 uh, and 2011 kind of time period on the decision to go to zero, uh, the complete withdrawal. I think we did not have as much access to documents Mm -hmm. from that time period. Um, And so if there was one area that, you know, I would personally be a little more concerned about than others, I would, you know, that's one of those areas that I'm more... You know, that that with the documents and interviews we had, I'm convinced we did a good job. But that right. said, you know, you just don't know what's out it's there. It's maybe an incomplete record. It's an incomplete record, record. Um, particularly since the Obama administration was still, you know, in office right. while we were, um, you know, putting this together. Um, and many of the uh, decision makers um, who were still in office were either not available for uh, interview or they were unwilling. Mm-hmm. Um, so that on not like a specific scale. Yeah. I mean, just the difference between the decade that exists between it, 2003 yes. and 2013 and the three years between 2010 and 2013 is going to make it makes a, a difference. difference in the conclusions maybe you can yeah. draw. On a, on a broader scale, they, when you do an operational level study, the operational level study is not looking at the the decisions to go to war. It's, you know, you're not looking mm-hmm. at, you know, why did the United States go to war? So there's a challenge in that, you know, the study starts, you know, correctly in terms of civil military relations because it's not our, you know, it's not our ball to call. Um, but it starts from the premise of, you know, you've been given the you know, decision, you are going to war. The, the larger questions of why did we go to war the intelligence behind it the decision making through that i think those are very important areas that that should be explored at some point absolutely so i'll ask what i hope is an easier question um what are you what are you most proud of with the study that that 
was just published earlier this year? It's easy for me. As a historian, we declassified 30,000 pages of documents. Thank you. That is something <laughs> that the historical community will have for perpetuity. Yeah, no, I think that's a that's a that's an incredible yeah. win, I think, for historians now and, and in the future. And they're online. Um, and, you know, there are other studies that are ongoing uh, that did not make that same decision. Mm -hmm. Jim, what are you most proud of? Well, I'm, I'm thinking about um, it was a, for, for me being on the team for two years. Uh, it, it was a, a tremendous uh, pace. I mean, there was a lot to get done in those two years. I wrote a lot more slowly than I had wished. Uh, but, I, but I think uh, I feel proud of being a member of a, of a team uh, that, that, that took a hard task and worked together uh, to, to produce uh, something that, that we can be proud of in terms of its, uh, its objectivity, uh, thoroughness, and, and just... Uh, I, mean, I mean, it's a it's a compelling story. When I look back at, at the conclusions uh, and, and and just the prose that's used in there, I mean, it's it's a compelling it's a compelling read. It's a long it's a long one, longer than we thought. But but I think it's it, it's something to be proud of. It, it's it's not uh, as I said uh, the the final word on Iraq. Uh, far from it. Uh, but I think it's a it's a serves as a great springboard for for future research. So that'll lead me to my sort of last question, which is, what are your um, hopes or desires for this publication now that it's out there in the in the world? What would you like to see for it? You know, one of the reasons why the study group was stood up and that we were directed to to write the manuscripts that were eventually became books um, was to engender discussion and debate. In some ways, Iraq has become the third rail of American politics. People just don't want to talk about it. Um, and that challenge, I would argue, exists within the uniformed services also for a variety of reasons. And what I would like most, you know, from the study is that it does create debate, that people pick it up and that some people don't like the conclusions and it causes them to think Mm -hmm. and then to question, and then to discuss and debate. Um, that, that would be my hope. Great. I mean, for, for me, it, it, it does... I mean, th there is a need for the study uh, in, the, in the sense that there is a, there is a need for something that, that could put in what we originally had intended to be one volume, uh, the, 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 le the lessons that we learned from that conflict. And I just came back from... Six months ago, I came back from a year-long tour in Afghanistan, and I, I at one point, told Frank uh, during that time, because we were lamenting uh, the, the fact that the study had not been published, and I told him not not a week went by uh, where I didn't think that, that some of the insights that hmm. were written about uh, could be... Not a week went by when I thought that, hey, these things would be useful to inform uh, the leaders in, in Afghanistan. Now, as different as Afghanistan is from Iraq, still, uh, there were certain insights that you can get from, for example, uh, the reconciliation effort. 
uh, that uh, in, in Afghanistan uh, could could be informed by some of the some of the things we learned uh, from that similar effort in in Iraq. Uh, how hard civil military relations is among uh, strategic and political leaders. The getting clarity, for example, um, clear insights, clear links to to what we what we learned in, in Iraq uh, could be applied to to Afghanistan and and beyond that. Uh, if, when you look ahead to to large scale conventional operations, I mean th- there are plenty of lessons that that are 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 not coin specific, but but could in fact be be applied to to future conflict. And so, uh, you know, that's what I look forward to, and that's what I hope uh, this study uh, could be useful for. Because we, we we have an army now, um, uh, increasingly so, uh, of uh, made up of of folks who have not deployed uh, right. to combat. Absolutely. So thanks so much for joining me today here on A Better Peace. Um, I've not yet finished all 1,300 pages of it, though I have, I have them downloaded and I'm slowly working my way through. Uh, the two volumes are, of course, available online, and so I'd encourage our readers uh, to go click the links and check them out. And congratulations on getting it published, and congratulations to the rest of the team uh, that's, that's not here in the studio, um, but we'll, we'll give them a sort of virtual shout-out. Thanks, Jackie. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jackie. Really appreciate it. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. And have a great day.